Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is a very popular word in our society. If you go to Amazon.com and look for book titles on heaven, you will find 2,652. Book titles on money, there are 10,304. If you look for book titles on sex, there are 16,765. If you look for book titles on God, there are 18,818. If you look for book titles on love, there are 30,066. Love is one of the deepest human needs of all. In fact, I think you could make the argument that it is the deepest human need of all. Yet love is very misunderstood and very misused. Consider the following love letter. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. Everybody is looking for love, but as the country song says, they're looking in all the wrong places. And people miss it because love is only found in one place. The Bible says God is love. And people miss it because they don't know what they're looking for. They don't really know what love looks like. The Bible tells us God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The clearest picture of love is the cross of Jesus Christ. And people miss it because the Bible tells us that naturally speaking, the cross is foolishness. Naturally speaking, the cross is offensive. And so that's the last place that people would look for love. Instead of going to Amazon.com to read about love, people need to go to Scripture. The Bible has a lot to say about love. In fact, the word occurs 650 times. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a whole chapter dealing with that subject. It is the love chapter. And it's in the context of a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, a church with a lot of problems. They had divisions and lawsuits and immorality and divorce going on in their church. And the uniform answer to all of those issues is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And that's love. Last time we looked at the prominence of love in verses 1 to 3, where Paul tells us love is not just a good thing. It's not just a nice quality. Love is prominent. Love is the priority of all priorities. As Paul is going to tell us in verse 13, it's the greatest thing. It's greater than talk. Look at verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
Some people think they can fix everything with words. Let me say something to her. We need to talk. You don't appreciate me. You don't listen to me. Let me tell you how that makes me feel. Now, I'm all for communication. I think it's a key to a vital relationship. But it doesn't matter how much or how well you talk if you don't have love. Paul says, I can speak with the most eloquent words on earth and the most eloquent words in heaven. And if I don't have love, I'm just making noise. Love is greater than preaching. Look at verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, but do not have love, I am nothing. Jonah preached the greatest revival in history. The entire city of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes. And he went outside the city and sat on a hill and pouted because he hated the people. He had a great calling and no love. It's a convicting verse to me. Because I can study and sweat and prepare and preach and people can get saved and lives can be changed and people can be awestruck and everybody can say, he's a great preacher, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Love is greater than knowledge. He says in verse 2, I can know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Some people think they can reason their way through life. I can solve this problem because I know. I can solve this problem because I'm educated. I'm big on truth. I'm committed to proclaim it, live it, share it, experience it. Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Free from sin. And what is the core of sin? The core of sin is selfishness. And selfishness is the opposite of love. So truth should free you to love God and free you to love others. And if it doesn't, if truth just increases your knowledge, it's just empty words. Some of the most unloving Christians I've met are veritable storehouses of biblical knowledge. They've got notebooks full of knowledge, but lives devoid of love. They can tell you who the little horn is in Daniel 8. They can tell you the day and the hour Jesus is coming back. They can answer any biblical question you want to ask. And people can't stand to be around them. When Jesus addressed the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, He said, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. But I have this against you. 
that you have left your first love. Jesus said, you know the truth, and you hold people to the standard of truth, and you're right. You're good at it. But you don't love me. And Paul says, when that happens, I'm zero. Love is greater than faith. In verse 2, he says, If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Faith is big time on God's agenda because without it, I can't please God. But you can have all the faith in the world and still not have love. I've watched parents try to stuff God down their kids' throats sideways because they were so committed to the fact that their kids needed God, but they did it without love. And those kids are far from God as a result today. If I have great faith so that I can move mountains around, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Love is greater than giving. Verse 3 says, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. You can be a philanthropist who generously gives to meet people's needs. You can spend all your spare time feeding people at a soup kitchen. You can give all your possessions to feed the poor. And if you don't have love, It profits you nothing. Jesus talked in Matthew 6 about the hypocrites in the synagogue who sounded trumpets before them as they gave in order to be seen by men, in order to have people be impressed by them. They gave without love. And then love is greater than sacrifice, because the end of verse 3 says, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul says, I can die as a martyr and not have love. I know a lot of people who try to sacrifice their way through life. I've had people sit in my office and say, do you know how many hours I work? Do you know how much I sacrifice for my family? Do you know how much I slave for them? And I say, no, I don't. And apparently they don't either. Because you are sacrificing things and time, but you're not giving love. And Paul says, if I give everything, including my life, but don't have love, I gain nothing. You see, in God's eyes, love is the greatest thing. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then he said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's why in the Ten Commandments, the first four are about loving God, 
The next six are about loving others. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is, is fulfilled in one word. What's the one word? Well, then he gives the phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, and that one word is love. If you will grasp that one word, you can forget about all the other words. You don't need the law if you can grasp the concept and live out the concept of love. Love is prominent. Me plus everything minus love equals zero. Paul tells us the loveless person in verse 1 produces nothing. The loveless person in verse 2 is nothing. And the loveless person in verse 3 receives nothing. Doesn't matter what you do, what you say, what your gift is, how much you accomplish, how many accolades you win in life. If love is not the major contribution of your life, you make no contribution. You say, well, if love is the most prominent thing, if love is the most important thing, then what is love? What does love look like day to day? What does love look like in street clothes? Well, Paul answers that with the properties of love in verses 4 to 7. And in verses 4 to 7, Paul doesn't define love, but he describes love. He gives us 15 characteristics of love. They're kind of like a series of pictures. If somebody says, well, I want to show you some pictures, and they have like 15 in a little folder, and you flip through and you look at the snapshots. These are snapshots of love. You look in there, it's love is, love is, love is, love is. These are pictures of love. What's interesting is that in the Greek language, every one of these words is a verb. Love is not something you feel. Love is something you do. And the first characteristic of love is love is patient. The King James says love suffers long. Heard about a little boy who was standing at the bottom of of an escalator and a guy came by and said, are you lost, little boy? And he said, no, I'm just waiting for my gum to come back. Love is patient. But here he's not talking about just patience with circumstances. He's talking about patience with people because this is love, and love is expressed in relationships. Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, said this is the ability to be wronged and wronged and wronged again and have the power to retaliate but to refuse to. Love doesn't retaliate. Love is slow to get angry. Love doesn't take revenge. Now, the Greek world at this time didn't see this as a virtue. In fact, they would have seen this as a weakness. Aristotle said the great Greek virtue is the refusal to tolerate any insult or injury and a readiness to strike back at any hurt. 
Strength and vengeance were equated. And we can relate to that. Who do we make heroes out of? We make heroes out of people who retaliate. We, we make heroes out of people who use their strength to retaliate. What would a Clint Eastwood movie be like if there was no retaliation? I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator, he goes in the police station and they say, you can't come in here. And he says, I'll be back. And he drives through the front doors to retaliate. What if he said, I won't be back? Pitiful movie. You know, to us, vengeance is heroic. To God, it's the opposite of love. Because love doesn't retaliate. Love is patient. This word patience is two Greek words. The first means long, and the second means temper. It's to have a long temper. It's to have a long fuse. People can hurt me and insult me and persecute me, and even though I have the ability to retaliate, I refuse to. You want an example? It's Jesus on the cross. Did he have the power to retaliate? Yes. He was beaten, he was spit upon, he was abused, he suffered, he was nailed to a cross, and he died. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How about Stephen in Acts chapter 7? He's being stoned to death. What would you say if you were being stoned to death? Stoned to death for no good reason. And he says, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. Love is patient. Can you imagine what this church would be like if everybody were patient with everybody else? Nobody ever retaliated. I wouldn't even need office hours. Nobody retaliated with anybody. Imagine what your family would be like if everybody loved with a love that is long-tempered, has a long fuse, refuses to retaliate. Let me remind you, you don't have to blow up and throw things to lose your temper. We find ways to do it quietly. We get upset and we say, I'll show her, see if she gets another word out of me. Or you guys know, you say that to your wife, you say, well, is anything wrong? And she said, nope. Nothing wrong. Or you say, I'll show him, I'll just take my ball and go home. I'll show him, I'll just quit. We have quiet ways of being vengeant. Love can be wronged and wronged and wronged and never take revenge. Aren't you glad God is that way? God is patient. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is long-suffering toward you. 
Robert Ingersoll was an atheist who lived in the last century, and he used to give lectures on why there's no God. He liked to stop in the middle of his lecture. He would take his watch out, and he would hold it up in the air, and he'd say, I'll give God five minutes to strike me dead for what I just said. Theodore Parker was a preacher at that time, and when he was told about this, he said, and did the gentleman think that he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in just five minutes? Love is patient, and God is love. So God suffers long. You say, but Dan, you don't know what that person did to me. really doesn't matter. Because it doesn't say love is patient when you're wrong. Love is patient even when you're right. And all you have to do is look at God and see if he has a reason to be vengeful towards you, and you'll get things in perspective. Abraham Lincoln made many friends and and some enemies over his days, and one enemy was a guy named Edwin Stanton. In print, he called Lincoln a low, cunning clown and named him the original gorilla. He used to say, say it's crazy for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when they can see one in Springfield, Illinois. Lincoln never replied to him. And when it came time to pick a war minister for the United States government, he picked Stanton. And somebody asked him why he would pick him. And Lincoln said, he's the best man for the job. Years wore on, and the night Lincoln was shot in that little room where his body lay, Stanton stood looking down into Lincoln's rugged, silent face, and speaking through his tears, he said, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. You see, he never accepted Lincoln's politics, but he couldn't resist his patience, his non-retaliating spirit, and that is the spirit of love. Love is patient. Second in the list is that love is kind. The root word for kind means useful. Love uses itself to help others. Patience endures the abuse of others. Kindness pays them back with good deeds. Patience says, I'll take any wrong from you. Kindness says, I'll only give you back good. And kindness is not only shown to those who are believers. Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Love is kind. Love says, how can I be useful to you? How can I be helpful to you? How can I do something to benefit you? heard about two men who were walking on a trail, and there was a, a sheer mountain on one side and a drop-off on the other side, and the trail was only about a foot wide, and they were working their way along, and they came to each other in opposite directions. They tried to squeeze by, and they realized they couldn't do that for fear that one of them would fall. 
So one of the fellows, without saying a word, laid down on the path and let the other guy walk over him. Love is kind. Love allows you to walk over me if it benefits you. Look at Mark chapter 1 with me. Think about Jesus. He's such an example of all of these characteristics. In Mark chapter 1, verse 38, we're told about a time when he was at a house and everybody in the city was at the house wanting him to heal them. And he says in verse 38, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that's what I came for. Jesus says, I can't spend all my time healing people. I need to go preach the word because that's what I came for. And then look at verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion... Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and healed him. Jesus says, I I, I can't spend all my time healing. I need to preach. And he starts off to preach, and he runs into a leper with a need. And what does he do? He's moved with compassion, and he heals him. How many times have you said, i got to get this project done. I don't have time for anything else. And a need comes along, and you ignore it. Jesus was moved with compassion. That's the expression of kindness. And love is kind. Look at chapter 3 of Mark. Verse 1. He entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Jesus comes in the synagogue, and the Jewish leaders have set a trap for him. What's the bait? A man with a need. They're saying, when Jesus comes in here and sees this guy with a need, we know that he'll be attracted to this guy. Wow. I was watching that old show, uh, TV bloopers and practical jokes, and this guy set up this scenario where his girlfriend came into an ice cream shop and She sat down at the ice cream shop, and he had it all set up where the girl behind the counter, uh, you know, he asked her to meet him there, and she went there, and this girl behind the counter was getting ice cream, and they had ice cream on a conveyor belt, which is ridiculous to start with, but, you know, she's, she's there behind the counter, and the ice cream starts coming on the conveyor belt. Well, it's coming too fast for her to even catch it all. So here's this girl sitting there, and this girl working there, and the ice cream's coming, and she's trying to catch it, And the girl jumps up, and she gets in trying to help her and gets ice cream all over her. And that's the practical joke. And afterwards, they asked the fellow, and he said that, I knew that when she saw a problem, when she saw this girl with a need, that she would jump in and try to help. And I thought, wow, if somebody wanted to trap me, would they set up a scenario where they had someone with a need knowing that when I saw that, I would jump in and help? That's kindness, because love is kind. Let me give you a little test in closing to see how your love life is. 
See if your love is growing. Just answer yes and no. Yes or no, not out loud. Yes or no to four questions. Question number one. Do I love more people? How many people do I really love? Do I just love people who love me? Or do I just love people who are easy to love? You see, love doesn't have to be patient if I'm only going to love people that are easy to love. So how many people are on your love list? Jesus said on your love list there should be your enemies, the ones you have to be patient with, the one you have to be non-retaliatory toward. So how long is your love list? I guess that's not a yes or no answer, is it? Second, do I love different kinds of people? Do people from different cultures and backgrounds and ages and economic status and education and race find their way onto your love list? Or do you just love people that are like you? Third, do I love over longer periods of time? You know, it's commonplace today in our mobile society for people to change churches, change jobs, change neighborhoods, change spouses. Let me ask you a question. Is there a growing capacity in your life to love the same people over the long haul? We often think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. The reality is, The grass is greener where you water it. And you water it with love. And love is patient. And then the final question. Do I love in a practical, tangible way? Am I kind? Am I useful? Am I helpful? That's something people can see. Do the needs of other people attract me? Could someone trap me with a person in need? Or do I walk right by? Love is essential. Love is prominent. And love is patient. Love is kind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this passage of Scripture that's so beautiful and poetic and yet so convicting. And Lord, we talk about love a lot today, or in this day and age, and and we hear it all the time and we sing about it. And Father, I pray that we would be challenged to examine our hearts to see whether the kind of love we're talking about is the same kind of love you're talking about. And Lord, when we understand this love, we realize we can't generate it by ourselves. It's the fruit of your Spirit in our lives. It's your love lived out through us. And I pray that we would truly empty ourselves of our own efforts 
and our own fake love, our own attempts at it, and we would allow your love to flow out through us. Father, today as we've looked at the idea that love is patient, that love can be wronged and wronged and wronged and not retaliate, I pray that we would see that kind of love lived out in our relationships. And as we see that love is kind, I pray that we would be people who would have your eyes for people's needs, that we would be moved with compassion to be useful and kind and caring in the lives of people around us who can never pay us back. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of just showing your love in a small way in our lives to show our appreciation for the love you've shown to us at the cross of Christ. And we thank you in his worthy name.